Friends, welcome to Hit Different. It's Friday, it's Monday in your world, wherever it is in your world. I don't care. All I care is about your ears, listening to my voice. <laughs> Who else's voice? I got some coughing going on, so it went big last night. Sorry. Not too big. That's okay. No, no, no. We're all friends here. We're all in the tent together, okay? Pass me the bowl uh, plate. On today's show, the war is over. The cultural war. The war on the fucking arts. Tony Burke has announced it. I'm into this. We're riding on this vibe. Uh, supposed to be talking about uh, Scooter Braun and managing to scoop Kid Leroy back. Uh, it's a bit of an interesting one, that one. And also, we're talking to Jaguar Johns about Bunny Mode, which comes out today, yesterday, the day before. It's out. Just fucking listen to it. <laughs> Here we are. Now, before we jump into it, I've got to introduce my guests. I've got Sostia Moli. Hello. And Jaguar Johns, a.k.a. Dina Lynch, a.k.a. This is like beautiful smile at the end of at the end of the Google Hangout. How are you, Charma? <laughs> I'm good. I've got like a whole kettle of water ready to go to top up Spill my tea. tea. I love it. Yes. Let's go. Fantastic. I've got a soda stream. Yeah. That's good. On the Nangs early. Why not? Uh, and so- <laughs> Sos the boast, what kind of libation do you have? I have some English breakfast, piping hot and ready to go. Fresh and hot out of the kitchen. Awesome. And a uh, quick one. Uh, Jacob Johns, what, what did you do last night? I actually went to see Tommy Cash oh! on the right side. Tommy Cash is like um, an Estonian rapper who I've been following for so long. It was just like one of those like dark corners of the YouTube that I, you know, <laughs> entered one time when he was really not known and then he's just exploded onto the scene with so much viral content yeah yeah he's nearly at a million followers it's it's, it's coming on Insta. yeah it's pretty wild i do love his brain though like his conceptual brain is what i'm in it for so i was curious to see what the gig would be like but my main curiosity was like who would be rocking up to see tommy cash I had bets on like weird internet crowd or like real trendy hipster or like a real hip hop scene. And it was like all of the above plus some. Really? But mainly it was a very white crowd, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> Brisbane! On that, that's reminded me. Um, so I went and saw Sampa the Great for Rising Festival a couple of nights ago. And the crowd at that show was like, Again, like you, you feel like you go to these things with an idea of who's going to rock up, but it was like a split of, you know, your highfalutin, like Melbourne, like very white, high art crowds because of rising. Then you've got like Sampa's following, which is like gorgeous blend of like rap fans. Melbourne's like African community really showed out for her, which was amazing. Just it was very melanated, which really pleased my soul. And then you had like the hippies who'd like dropped all of their stingers at like 6pm that night. So by the time she was on stage, like tops were off, like sweat just coming out, crawling on the floor. Wow. Like white women 
getting in your space thinking that they're at the best Zumba class they'd ever been to in their life. Like, it was a lot. And I was just like, the irony is not lost on me that we're in a space celebrating, like, black excellence and I've still got drunk white people, like, that up on me. (laughs) You know what I mean? I was just like, this is an interesting fusion. I don't know. I guess in this society, that's when you know you've made it. (laughs) Yeah, fully, fully. You can't pick your fans. You really can't can't cope with the whole name for their fans, I remember. The crappers. There's a, there's a pocket of camp coat I'm pants. loving all this morning of stingers and crappers and yeah. bangs. And plates. It's all happening. And plates and bongs. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. <clears throat> hey, let's uh, launch into it after this bit of music. Guys, in the same week Billy Bragg has thrown his support behind um, Anthony Albanese, Tony Burke has been appointed Minister for the Arts and he's announced... The nine-year political attack on the arts and entertainment sector is now over. The neglect, the contempt, and the sabotage of the previous government has ended. I am determined to deliver a better future for Australia's creative sector. (sighs) So good. These are important jobs that deliver the essentials of Australian culture. So what they're doing, this is all talk, yeah, but what they're doing is they're going to build a cultural policy. This was uh, discussed in sort of the height of the Gillard and Rudd days, and then... ScoMo and Abbott and cronies came along and just snuffed out that idea completely. Now Labor has clinched 77 seats in a majority government. Anthony Albanese doesn't have to work with the independents as much. He's going to be able to get these things through a little easier, which is fantastic. He's a person that attended Belvoir Theatre the other night. Hasn't happened in years when when a a prime minister has just gone to the theatre. Like, it's so weird. Like, it should happen all the time. He wasn't going to see the Sharkies. This is an amazing moment. Uh, I just called Katie Stewart from VMDO. I was about to leave VMDO, which is very sad, but she was just sort of just bringing me up to speed as to what all this means. There was a really good um, article in Arts Hub as well. This is Tony Burke. I want more Australians turning our pages, watching our screen content, visiting our galleries, buying tickets for live performances and cranking up the volume on our music. Let's get to work, Burke concluded. Albanese's also appointed Susan Templeman, the member for Macquarie, as a special envoy for the arts. All of this just puts good energy and good focus towards the arts, especially it's been so freaking decimated you know the three of us have gone through all kinds of shit working in the in this sector and having to you know see musician friends of ours cancel tour cancel tour cancel tour i'm sure jack you've put up with a lot of crap in the last few years um we just take it back uh sort of two weeks tell us about dina tell us about your election day and how it all played out and perhaps who you voted for if you want to talk talk about that as well i um was playing a gig in Byron Bay that was rescheduled because it was meant to be an International Women's Day gig in March and then we had all the flooding on the East Coast. Yeah, so I was flooded in and then Byron as well, you know, uh, was pretty flooded out. So I didn't think that gig was going to happen. So it kind of feels a bit like symbolic to everything, you know, that's um, happening now on that rescheduled day. Uh, we were able to reschedule this gig and for some reason, I don't know why I never have, we were playing at 11 p.m. So we're the last ones on that night and it's super late. And this venue was so amazing. They gave us a hotel room so that we could like chill out in the green room all day. So what do we do while we were waiting was watch the election roll out. <laughs> and so it was just kind of like this like nerve-wracking it was funny because the footy was on as well or like several kinds of footy I don't don't ask me <laughs> like it was like two kinds of footy on and 
the election and we're like, yeah, we prefer the election. We didn't think it was going to happen. I honestly didn't think it was going to happen just because of all the, um, what do you call it? Like guesstimations that were happening prior. I don't think we expected this landslide, you know? And especially because you live in Greensland. Yeah, yeah. I was so emotional just when it happened. I, we were cele- like celebrating so hard and just before we were about to go on stage, it you know, the ABC came out with the fact that you know, Labor's most likely going to get this government and ScoMo's out. And we just opened our sparkling waters and our beers <laughs> and just like did like a whole hoorah, like, yes, yeah, ScoMo is out. And then we just chanted through the kitchen and onto the stage and played awesome. a show. And it was one of the best shows ever. It was so Holy good. smokes. And did you get to announce that on the mic? It was, it was showing up on people's feeds, et cetera. People, people would have known, so... I don't know. That crowd was like in a, on another planet by the time we were out on stage at 11 p.m. So I could have said anything to them and they would have just been screaming. But we drove home straight after that gig and I went into my bed and listened to Anthony Albanese's speech. And that brought me to tears because mm. I can't remember the last time someone who has grown up from that background in a place of leadership like that so openly and publicly And it just made me feel a little bit more represented in our government. And it's so inspiring to see, I guess, someone a bit more um, self-aware and emotionally intelligent. and Actual empathy. Yeah, actual empathy and with less privilege come out on top, you know. So awesome moment. But I did vote Greens and so did my whole band and our whole area that we live in all were the green seats. Awesome. But yeah, Labor was definitely my second option. So what do you make of this uh, talk about the, the cultural policy? What would you like to kind of see uh, out of this government? I don't know, just some follow through. I feel like that's like a re- that's a big reason why so many of us has become so disillusioned, right? Because especially in the last couple of years, I feel like, it's just highlighted that we're just sick of people talking about shit. You know what I mean? Like, stop trying to sell us a dream. Like, I understand that change isn't overnight and it will take some time, but we just want to see people putting the barest of minimums of work in, you know what I mean? Um, even that is, you know, so far public-facing, but, you know, on a basic level, like you said, Albanese going to the theatre, you know, seeing more politicians at gigs where they're not required to be there. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, I just, I want to see more of that stuff just so we can start, I don't know, having a bit more faith in in everybody. I don't know. I'm I'm very cynical about everything right now, but I'm trying not to be. Um, (laughs) But, yeah, I just, I want to see more discussions between you know, industries who've, you know, decided to publicly be like, we're staking our support in you publicly. you got to give us that same love back, you know, like show up for us. That's a start. Mm, absolutely. And, the, you know, when we saw Guy Sebastian with the photo opportunity with Scott Morrison announcing all this, like, you know, funding for, for the entertainment, that just never came through, did it? And it... It, and look it, how that worked it, out. It, it, it trickled through. It was just disgusting. Dina, do you have any political aspirations? You speak very, speak very well on Four Corners and on the project, speaking your truth. And you know what I mean? Like any political aspirations slash any kind of advocacy roles or anything in, in that sort of field? Oh, I feel like I'm very much deeply rooted in it already mm, and that. trying to 
get out of it so I can <laughs> go back to being an artist. Um, at this moment, um, I've got so much on my plate with the advocacy I've already am doing um, that I uh, I will always be an advocate and, you know, there's always going to be purpose with my music and my art, um, but it would be so nice to be valued, number one, solely for my artistry and being a musician in the music industry. And then we'll see where that path leads. I'm not going to say no to anything, but... Definitely not on my bucket list right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A little bit on. Got to launch a record. Uh, Bunny Mode as well. If you haven't listened to it yet, friends, get into it. Loud is the track I've been bumping a lot. It's got a real kind of evanescence. Oh, kind cool. Of drama to it. Yeah. I was, cool. Uh, Good to hear. That nearly didn't make it. So that's yep. so cool. Well, I'm glad it's just, just put its nose in front right at the end. <laughs> Tony Burke talked about... Um, all the sort of uh, gigs being cancelled as well during during lockdowns and pandemics, everything. So, yeah, what we need to see is talk is great, but yeah, as as so said, and you said as well, Dina, like we really need uh, the the follow through, and yeah, we just need some brave decisions here, you know, because I, I think I think the sort of the ace up the sleeve of um, the federal government now, the Labor government, is the fact that it's just like it's what it's like a multi billion dollar industry that's kind of been ignored because I think. The liberals could not get around their heads that it was a multi-billion-dollar industry that that just lifted everybody up. You know, the more gigs are on, the more people are getting employed, the more people are out. You know, hospitality, everything, just everything that sort of all the energy that goes towards this kind of thing. It just annoys me though, because like when things happen, like the pandemic or like bushfires or the floods, which sector steps up first? to try and find funding and support the communities. Like it's always the arts, like, and we don't get the same backing from the government, but when they need it, they'll like lean on and it's like, you know, let's do a relief show or, you know, can, you know, we all do like live streams to, for free for, you know, to lift the spirits of, you know, the entire society. So yeah, it's just annoying how we've been ignored for so long and, I live next to Suncorp Stadium, like literally next door. And I was just like having to, you know, go through cancelled gigs on the very same day as I can hear a 20,000-seated stadium, you know. Yeah, it was just annoying. I'm just – I'm being like a child, but no, it's no. annoying. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is. Every single roar is like salt in the wound. <laughs> Fuck y'all. <Yeah. laughs> that like, should be for me. Um, I think it'd be cool to, to call for some legislation right now that, uh, that has the sort of like a, an emergency fund that if another pandemic happens, monkeypox kicks off, war floods, whatever, there should be a certain amount of money set aside to pay artists who are doing these fundraising gigs. You know what I mean? Like to, to, to sort of give, yeah, to give artists a cash injection when they have to step up. Like it kind of makes sense, doesn't it? You know, like raise the money, but don't expect these people to, to do this for free because, They've been toiling their art. I mean, Jaguar, in your in your role, how much um, how much superannuation do you get? How much long service leave do you get? How much sick pay do you get? You get like I'm fucking on crutches at the moment. I have to cancel nearly all my DJ gigs for the next two months. What? How am I going to make money? You know, I've got to hustle and do other things. So we need to be looked after. So yeah, thank you, Tony Burke. Welcome. Uh, now show us what you got. In just a moment. Our friend Sophia Mole talking about Kid Leroy getting back into, I was going to say Ben, that's gross, getting back into the good books. 
um, with Scooter Bra, Scooter who's here. He flew all the way out to Australia to, to watch Kid Leroy. Anyway, that's in just a moment. Talk to us, uh, Sos, about this uh, Kid Leroy toing and froing with Scooter Braun. Yeah, it's a bit messy, to be honest. I kind of went down a rabbit hole of trying to work out what's been happening because I've been seeing all of these like different news articles of like, Kid Leroy leaving management, re-signing to management, getting sued by management. Like, it's all a bit... It's been a bit much, but to sort of put it into layman's terms, the Kid Leroy, obviously global superstar now, kid from Sydney, done good, now re-signing with former manager Scooter Braun, uh, who is known for, you know, managing and curating the careers of people like Justin Bieber, Ariana Grande, was also involved in that massive Masters dispute with Taylor Swift recently, which is another thing I want to touch on. The Kid Leroy's back on his team. So originally they had been working together for, I think it was only like a couple of months before they initially parted ways. And then the Kid Leroy decided to link up with another manager called Adam Lieber and his company Rebel Management. Again, that partnership lasted less than a year before he left. When all of this is happening, the Kid Leroy's debut Australian tour is kicking off. So he's current, he's doing that at the moment, playing massive arenas and also having to deal with all of this stuff on the side. So, yes, yeah, Scooter Braun was spotted out in Sydney, which kind of set rumour mills back off again. And now we're hearing this week that the ink is drying on the paper. Uh, Kid Leroy is back under his umbrella. So... I mean, I know that the, all, the, all the ins and outs of artist management contract deals and label deals are, you know, they're very uh, nuanced and they're very difficult, which is probably why a lot of artists, a lot of young artists in particular, run the risk of getting completely fucked over earlier in their careers, right? But this is interesting to me because it's one of the biggest careers in pop music right now. And for it to be playing out so publicly feels like, I don't know, behind the scenes, people just aren't on their P's and Q's as much as they probably could be to like properly protect this artist. Have you guys looked into this at all? Have you heard anything about it? It's a, yeah. I'll quickly add to it. So the interesting thing, it was um, Leroy and his, his mum, Sloan. They said there were significant problems with what was going on with Scooter Braun's uh, management. Uh, specifically, wasn't involved enough in their sort of uh, making big career decisions. So, so leaves goes to Adam Lieber. Adam Lieber right now will be kicking himself. The whole team there, they will be absolutely livid, wouldn't they? Like, how do we let this slip through our fingers? Uh, and I think, yeah, I think I think Slade Howard, uh, Kid Leroy's mum, is the is the one really super super guiding him and you know and being his counsel and, and being his kind of protector from like just think about like everywhere everywhere he goes just the amount of offers that he'd be getting women throwing themselves at him so obviously she sees something in Scooter Braun like Scooter Braun hopefully did the the come to Jesus moment of kind of like okay I've <laughs> I've cooked it I'm here now I'm going to step my game up you know so yeah I I've got I've got kind of faith in this is this is going to work out really really well to be honest because i feel like when, when someone gets a second chance no matter who you are you kind of go all right i've got to really make this work what do you think dina i don't know the logic of people being given seven second chances and stepping up <laughs> but maybe i come from a very different place but yeah well no that's the other thing i was thinking of right because it's like how often does that ever happen 
Yeah. <laughs> it's like a one and done, that's a bridge burn kind of thing. Maybe Mikey learns on the second run, but I know lots of people who don't learn no. on the second run. <laughs> no. Like it's hard for me to comment because um, I haven't really followed closely with his career and I haven't seen much of the news. But what I could say is artist management is one of the most interesting relationships in the terms of working relationship, <clears throat> a recent article that um The Guardian put out about tennis players and their managers was a really great comparison to what that's like for artists and the artist managers. I think there's also a really great guy in Adelaide, Guy Morrow. I think he's put out a book as well that talks a lot about that, like dynamics of artist relationships and artists really well. But it's it's a weird thing to explain to the public. I liken it to like dating. Like it's really hard to find someone that's right for you. And sometimes the only way to go about it is through dating. Like how do you expect someone to manage your entire career and every facet of your career, not just your career because so much is tied into it with music, like your emotions and your well-being, and, you know, like your schedule and your capacity. So, I, I would say it's really hard to find someone that's right for you and matches up with the goals you have in mind. On top of that, like I don't know Kid Leroy and his parents and his family very well, but I think kudos to the mum for stepping up and being the intermediary to help bear the brunt of all this media to protect Kid Leroy. Where's the dad in this conversation? I'm not sure. I'm so glad that he has his mom to help navigate through this because it would just be way more difficult. Yeah, I think from memory, when he relocated to Los Angeles, I'm pretty sure it was like he was still living with his, like he took his mom and his brother with him. So they kind of moved as a family unit, which is great. I always think about young artists when they achieve these levels of fame like you need more than anything like a family unit or a support network around you to just not only keep you grounded but to kind of protect you because it's it's fucking horrible out there it would it would be so hard to know who has the right intention for you while like at the stage you are with like as in Kid Leroy's status. Yeah. Um, because it would just be like a calling for all seagulls to oh, nip yeah. at the yeah. chip. You know? <laughs> nip at the chip. Yeah. That's very I good. don't know where that came from. That's I hot. love it. I love it. Like my relationship with him and his music is pretty much non existent. Like I've I've been asked to do interviews about him when, you know, he got really famous. Like, let's let's break it down and I'm like, oh, I'm probably the wrong person to go to. Like, I'm happy for him, but it's you know, it's just not my sort of music. And you he's trapped, you know what I mean? Like as as great as it is and he's having all the success, he's trapped. He's gonna be Kid Leroy forever. Like how do you get out of being such a such a big star? And I guess the analogy I can make is uh, I read a really interesting thing about Will Smith and Arnold Schwarzenegger was talking about like so Will Smith goes up to Arnold Schwarzenegger and a few others like big you know Sylvester Stallone stars and says how do I um, become the biggest movie star in the world and Arnie says mm, you got to be like a politician <laughs> you have to go yeah. everywhere Boy, that's all good. <laughs> all over the world and and you guys gotta be like the man in every country and so he did that everywhere his film comes out he's in Slovenia you know he's just 
you know, is the, the, the deepest thing. Oh, Kenya, cool, I'll go. There's, there's a screening in Kenya, and he's just there beat, doing his thing. So for Will Smith to get to that point now, and you look at, I look at Will Smith's life going, fuck, that's not a good life. You know, like, I feel kind of like if, you, if you're lashing out and slapping a defenseless person who's half your size in front of the whole world, that a lot's happened to you. You know, you're feeling you're quite gnarled from the experience, and I'm hoping... Kid Leroy doesn't doesn't sort of go through uh, too much of that kind of stuff. It's kind of inevitable because as long as he has a, a good bunch of people around him protecting him. Um, Dina, what's your experience if you want to go into a bit more detail with 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 dating, as in with uh, with your previous managers and and where are you at now, etc. Well, I was self managed my whole career, and I just brought on a manager um, about a year ago or less than a year. Actually, yeah, just like it's about to come up to a year. I ended up in music very like later in my life. Definitely not the Kid Leroy story at all. I was very much in like the um, engineering and business side of things and fell in love with music quite late in my life. And I'm so used to no one taking bets on me. So I know that no one was going to come up and say like, let me set this up for you. So I ended up um, quitting my job as a business analyst and going into being an intern in the music industry and working my way up into an artist manager position. So I actually sat behind the scenes to see how everything worked so that I could set myself up with Jaguar Jones. I've seen those like different dynamics at play um, from behind the scenes and being an artist and understand how complex and complicated um, those relationships can be. My relationship with my manager is new, but the way we fell into each other was that I really wanted an intermediary in my complicated discussions with companies regarding my sexual assault. Uh, And it was a very traumatic time for me. And my manager stepped up and said, let me just come with you in this meeting as a pillar of support and to help champion for things that you deserve, especially when it's something so traumatic, like don't represent yourself. Um, So she wasn't intending to be anything but this kind of, call it chaperone for this meeting, difficult meeting. But that's how our relationship formed. And I have been able to learn that when you get the right team around you and people who believe in you and care for you and your career, it's everything. It's so important as an artist, but because it's so fragile, that can easily flip on its head. Um, And that would be the experience for a lot of artists. And like dating, I would say that I'm still in the honeymoon period (laughs) and it's been a great honeymoon period but I you know you just never know and I don't think that's a bad thing when people change managers or you know change their teams up because it is like any other relationship and there's sometimes it's a certain amount of time that allows that relationship to grow and when it becomes stagnant it's time to move on for both parties so it's complex that's what my answer would be. And it must feel nice though now to have management in place and it's record dropping yeah. and yeah. Because does it does come out today. Is it literally today? It's, it's literally it's today. That yeah. shit. That's fucking yeah. amazing. That's, that's, <laughs> I was nice. up till like 1am like talking with my fans and seeing it roll out. And then I had a hard morning. One track is missing off the album. Oh, of course, these things happen. All around the world. I know. And I just was like, ah. <laughs> 
I'm looking at it now. Like... Yeah, it's not, it's not on, not on the thing I can see. All no, the way it's not. You but... can parlay this into some sweet content slash extra energy around you when it comes out. You really can. You absolutely can make this work for you. So, you know, I had a hard morning of like, you know, a bit of like diva, drama queen, anger, Nothing upset, diva depression. About it. Nothing yeah. diva about it, babe. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> all, I just, all... so much has gone into this album. Yeah. yeah. And to just have a key track missing, it just feels like crack the... them skulls. Yeah, <laughs> crack skulls exactly. You know? <laughs> so that is why I've like prepared a whole kettle. Yeah. Like I've never done this uh, for any interview, but I was like, I need my tea today. <laughs> I'm gonna be on you one. Get, I love it. You give, you give, you're giving us the tea too, which is lovely. Yes, I'm uh, giving you ooh. the tea. <laughs> uh, I like when if I can give you one piece of advice from all day when it, he put out something and it was meant to like go internationally and it all fucked up on the same day like the single the single day drop and he just put out hashtag too blessed to be stressed as the first time i'd heard it Aww. and it was just like too blessed to be stressed and i've i i think about that as often as but like as i said don't know i mentioned i'm on crutches i've been for nine weeks too blessed to be stressed this is an overcorrection for That's a great so for, for a great life so all good in the hood lovely all right that was a good that was a good segment i think in a moment we should come back and talk about jaguar jones's brilliant career the come up the come up the come up the come up here we are topic three jaguar dina thank you so much for giving us your time and what kind of tea you are you hitting what are you sipping i am having again my chat matcha nice um which is like a roasted rice green tea oh wow um, yeah, yeah really good yum, yum 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 <laughs> yeah too blessed to be stressed too blessed to be stressed my cha tea. Yeah. <laughs> love it love it so uh i guess jump out and say know my name is a real it's a great start to bunny mode to your to your record it feels like a real line in the sand it feels like mm. a real like mm. a, you're either with me or you're not with me and if you're not there's the fucking door. Uh, <laughs> tell me about yeah choosing such a slow burn track as the opener. I guess I wanted something really impactful um, and not in like a typical way. I wanted it to kind of show what this whole journey has been. And it's just like this like simmer um, of tension and, you know, like of emotion. And I felt like Know My Name was perfect for that. Know My Name existed in a whole different form, but we rearranged it to be this kind of real slow build to crack open into Who Died and Major King as the second track. I guess Know My Name is this really great start to the album, but also like a bookend to this chapter too, which is that there is no way when I started recording and writing for bunny mode would I have ever written a track like know my name and put it first and so I really felt like it was representative of the growth I have made in this journey and how I really have found my voice as an artist not just like emotionally and you know with my advocacy but like also technically and in melodically as well so I felt like it was just this really great wrap-up of that whole journey you kind of touched on it earlier and it reminded me of a conversation we had with Winston McCall from Parkway Drive moons ago but you know when we talk about artists and their activism and the crossover of both you know sometimes it can be hard to not shift perceptions but to kind of find yourself again artistically separate to 
the advocacy and the and the activism work. Can you tell us a bit about how Buddy Mode maybe led yourself back to that kind of core artistic side of yourself? I don't know like where the activism sat in Parkway Drive, but my advocacy came up before my artistry yeah. even existed um, yeah. on the music industry radar. Like my profile has been built because of my advocacy. So it, it's been very difficult because when it comes to my artistry, it's side, sidelined, you know, and my purpose and my value to this music industry was for them to give me space when they needed to tick some boxes and do some performative action. Uh, and I was a great little package for mm-hmm. that, you know. Mm-hmm. So it was really hard for me because I didn't know what my value was as an artist in this industry and if what I produced culturally even mattered mm-hmm. and if I can even exist and have space in this industry if I took the advocacy down a few notches. But I think there was that I, I'm a survivor <laughs> And that always comes into play. And so that channeled through in my music where I wanted to be absolutely ferocious and triumphant um, in the music I was creating to make sure that didn't happen because I was so used to being carved out of narratives, so used to being erased and I'm so used to being silenced that I absolutely refuse for that to happen to my baby, which is my music and my artistry. The advocacy only exists because I came into the industry to be an artist. So I am not going to let my artistry suffer because of it. So I hope I have delivered a freight train with Bunny Mode and let people know that I'm not here to fuck around. (laughs) I can't even say that with fierceness. I just start laughing. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. Showing your emotional range. But you have seven days to listen to the album. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You know, when you when you think about your earlier music, because that's one thing that I've really enjoyed about watching you evolve as a musician uh, is that you can really look at, like, different snapshots of where you were musically. And I feel like thinking about your influences, they, you know, from an outsider's view, they seem very varied. And I mm. love that because there's <laughs> a boldness in that ambition. Um, you know, when you look at your earlier music compared to where you were sonically with bunny mode like what do you think you've learned as as, what do you think you've learned about yourself in terms of the way you hear other music or you view other art forms and how that sort of is incorporated into your process so because I fell into music late in my life I fell into it because it was a form of catharsis Mm -hmm. for me um it was the only way I could allow myself to express grew up culturally and just you know with the circumstances I've been put through to just repress and Mm -hmm. deny and Mm -hmm. music was this kind of vessel for me to be able to take it out of my body and put it somewhere else so I feel like the music at the start of my career was this necessity of survival but now I'm past survival I'm now in thrive mode and I think that's changed with my music where I'm not just like allowing this emotional vomit to come up and exist in the music but still keep the music quite like layered and hidden because I was afraid of what 
you know people will do to me or the fear of you know what society will think of me or being vulnerable like that and with bunny mode it's different because I'm not just using music to survive I'm using it to say something and so it's a huge shift in the kind of audacity I'm taking or the tenacity I'm taking with the music and that meant that lyrically I'm exploring more and melodically I'm pushing more and um, technically with production I'm experimenting more and I'm less afraid of having to comply um, and I'm no longer that person anymore and so I'm just pushing and and I think I'm exploring more with this album because I'm not afraid to bend genres and um, push attitudes and and use my voice and take up space on that stage. The artwork for Bunny Mode is incredible. It's, <laughs> it's, uh, it's like Star Wars Cantina Band meets, <laughs> meets Shibari, the ancient art of Japanese bondage tying with ropes. I once discussed that with FKA Twigs or just dropped something. Tell us about, yeah, the mood board for, for the for the album cover. Well, that's perfect, like, lead into what I just spoke about because when people hear bunny mode, it sounds really cute and fluffy yeah. and it is, you know, like, but it, it actually represents something a lot more different for me and bunny mode is this representation of complex PTSD that I've suffered um, and still suffer from. And I called it bunny mode when I didn't understand complex PTSD because I likened it to being a prey in the wild and having to freeze yeah. and play dead to survive. But bunny mode for me is like a thank you bunny mode for allowing me to survive up until this Got point. You. But I don't need it anymore. Like my circumstances have changed and I have different powers around me that that survival coping mechanism doesn't work anymore. Mm. So that's what I wanted the album cover to say is this like bunny-esque figure that is not cute, that is not fluffy, that is not a prey, but the complete opposite. And yeah, that's the mood board. I love it. <laughs> so, so cool. I, you know, I had it everything in like, it's almost like skin and beige and like you know textures and really stripped back I didn't use a lot of color because I wanted it to be intimate and raw and vulnerable but also the complete opposite of that and just being commanding too yeah you look like you could slit someone's throat you could garrot someone (laughs) just for this with my cute fluffy bunny claws (laughs) exactly kind of makes me think like it's secret life of pets but like Kevin Hart like plays like that cute little bunny but he's just like he wants to be a superhero, so he's oh my just God, like that's so cute. He's like karate <laughs> chopping, but he's like a cute little fluffy bunny. It's, it's, yeah, so that's oh my, my mood board yeah. is Star Wars <laughs> X Kevin Hart. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Shibari on the side. Hey, uh, so Dina, did you guys attend an award ceremony recently <laughs> uh, in Brisbane? What uh, what's going on there? We did. It was an awards show. It was the Australian Women in Music Awards, and uh, Dina gave an incredible speech. She let the hose have it that night and I was so proud of her. Dina's me, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For context to yeah. anyone listening. Dina is Jaguar. Uh, no, you, you were incredible up there, but um, there are a lot of conversations about the way awards or the way sort of ceremonies like that are, are run and sort of positioned in general. And I guess I just wanted to, to touch on what your experience was because I know it was a very emotional 
sort of ex- night and moment and just how you were feeling after that because I, I know it was a lot. Um, so it was the Tina Arena Award after my yes. speech um, and she took to the stage to talk about things afterwards. So it was mm-hmm. like a bit of like a free speech afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't know how to process that and I'm still processing mm. that because she talked about um, speaking up with a smile and Mm -hmm. to not be confrontational Mm -hmm. and to do it with love Mm -hmm. and empathy and compassion. So I don't know what that meant because I am doing everything with empathy and compassion, which is why I'm speaking up. So I don't know who that was in reference to or who that was directed to at all, but it upset me. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it was one of, it was one of many moments during, if I'm going to be completely frank and honest. Well, it upset me even more because my DMs blew up about how survivors and victims were triggered Mm -hmm. by the words Mm -hmm. afterwards and Mm -hmm. the carelessness of it. And who is cleaning that up? Who's picking, you know, who's Mm. cleaning that up? Who's having to like filter through those DMs Mm. and make sure everyone's okay. Who's providing the safe space? Like, why am I so alone in this? Mm. And I chose to speak up at the Ormas because it was a room full. I've never been to an award ceremony that was more um, political and organizational. That's that's what, yeah, I left so angry that night to be completely <laughs> Like I saw you on my way out and I was just like, I can't. Like I cannot. Like I was, I was fuming at just the, yeah, it was just so political and it was so, I don't know, people just fucking rattling their jewelry kind of performative shit, you know. It just got to me. That's always going to exist and that's fine. But that is exactly why I decided to say the speech exactly Mm. how I said my speech Mm -hmm. because like through my whole time of advocacy, when have I had the opportunity to be in front of leaders and organizations and say something? Yeah. Never, like hardly ever. If anything, I really had to fight for that space. So I was like, here's two minutes where I get to speak to my leaders and the organizations. But only two people approached me of like leadership roles. And one of them was Tony Burke, Mm -hmm. you know, so Mm -hmm. I'm so glad to hear that the arts minister connected with my speech and wants Mm -hmm. to do Mm -hmm. something about it and to Mm -hmm. give space to me. But where the hell is my music industry leaders? The ones who have direct power. Yeah. After saying that speech, I was just actually kind of um, feeling isolated and surprised that um, a lot of grassroots came up to me. uh, But, only one person from the music industry reached out, mm. you know, in mm. a position of power. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So often it's like people just think other other people would, oh, someone else would do that. Like, no, 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 you got to do it. you got to yeah. fucking make that connection. It's, it's such an easy thing to do. I need people to hear the words that I was saying in yeah. the speech because, like, it's so easy to go clap, clap, yes, sister, like, yeah. that's fine. But, like hear the words I'm saying in my speech, that sacrifice and that pain and the burden and that responsibility Mm. I've had to wear on behalf of people who get paid cushy salaries and stability, like, Mm -hmm. and security. Like Mm -hmm. I'm just really fed up and I'm just like, it's, it's, you know how it's so easy to sit in the position and go like, I'm so tired of ScoMo not taking accountability and not Mm -hmm. being a leader and like the whole arts industry feels that way i want people to understand that that feeling is what the people underneath them are feeling 
when they look at those above them. Totally. I don't know. Little things were triggering me that night after your speech. I had people coming up to me kind of as I was on my way out being like, oh, I'm like, she did so good. And I'm like, you know, just like infuriating shit like that. I'm like, cool. Like, (laughs) awesome. Like, what the? The same same people that would just share the projects of 15 minute video slacktivism you know just oh cool done tick slacktivism yep. <laughs> yeah i like it yeah nip uh, nip, you gave us nip, nip the chip we give you slacktivism <laughs> yeah um but yeah i guess my my point on this would be you know for moving forward we've got so many you know music industry events music industry awards thinking they're doing the most by like taking out fucking urban categories and replacing them with other categories, you know, just to try and placate. We're saying, oh, we're getting rid of gendered awards. We're getting rid of this. We're adding awards. It's just like it means fucking nothing if you're mm. not actually just diving oh, totally. a little different. You know what I mean? Like yep. it's Yeah, I, I said this as well in my speech, but, like, um, we can't hide behind the glitz and the glamour. And, like, it's so good to have awards and it's so good to have platforms to elevate voices yeah. and to celebrate careers. I'm so grateful I had that moment on that stage yeah. because it is a moment where my Definitely. voice was amplified. Um, but the question remains of, like, what are we actually doing mm-hmm. to make cultural differences mm-hmm. to the systemic issues mm-hmm. in our industry? And my recommendations for the award ceremony would be to actually highlight the women's careers that they're awarding Mm -hmm. because I had no idea sitting through it what each of the award recipients have done. Mm -hmm. Um, And not only that, the nominations. Yeah. Yeah, right? (laughs) The nominees. Like I would love – you know when we see a normal music award and there's like – and this single and there's like a snippet of like and then and then this single do 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 that would be amazing for the careers of these women like this yeah. nominee who has done blah 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 yeah. this nominee yeah. who has done blah 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 <clears throat> and the award goes to this person here's a bit of their yeah. like fun fact resume because yeah. i'm sitting through like i i wonder what they do yeah, yeah totally yeah totally especially for so many of these women in positions that aren't on stages, you know, like yeah, women exactly. tour managers. Cool. I want to know what they've done. But wanna... they didn't even say tour managers. Exactly. Like I just. So that's my thing. It's like if you're gonna elevate, maximize that elevation. Yeah. Never half ass. Yeah. Always full ass. Yeah. Yeah. Full ass. Yeah. And also, <laughs> like, should have full assed it. Just quietly, and this is my. I swear to God, I'll get off my soapbox after this. But like, if you're. <laughs> Um, so cut, so, so, uh, in the words of Mikey, cut sick. Yeah. Cut sick, um, so spox. You know, it's <laughs> so spox. <laughs> I don't want to be asked to comment on how good hip hop or just fucking awards showcases are because I'm a person of colour mm. and the performers have been predominantly women of colour and yet yes. your nominations do not reflect oh. the amount of performers of oh colour that you include. Do not ask I, me to comment on that because yeah. I will not. <laughs> that is my sentiment exactly was that, I mean, I'm not even in the award catalogue, okay, so yeah. we can, I don't know. It's a <laughs> So I wasn't, I don't know, I wasn't planned enough for the print, I guess. But, you know, um, so if you take that away, 
and look at the award winners. Um, there's a certain shade of color going on that's very dominant in the award recipients and even in the nominations. And that hurt me so much sitting through it is like I couldn't see people like me or I couldn't see others who are marginalized like being elevated again if we're gonna elevate elevate with a full ass like I found it really difficult to see that the performances were uh, you know full of women of color but that they weren't celebrated Mm -hmm. in the awards Mm -hmm. It, it felt this kind of um symbolic oppression that we're so used to because performances are great but the exposure that's free and you know it it doesn't do much yeah and it doesn't look like on a press release a nomination or or a win is a lot more powerful than performed at it's like great talent i was so glad i could have that exposure to some amazing diverse women of color but they need to be celebrated I wasn't there, Dina, but I can say I, I reckon it was some of your best work or segue to the sick. It's kind of a thing that people now listen, people will for years come up to you and you're like, oh, I would have, would have kind of liked to have heard that on the night or had some direct feedback, yeah. but it will, it'll, it'll just, it'll resonate and it'll, it'll keep going on. It'll reverberate for sure. It honestly oh, will. So Yeah, I mean, yeah, it'll yeah. be great if um, Arias gave me two minutes as well. So. Wow. Well, <laughs> let's ask them to do it right now. You know. Give me two minutes. Two minutes, Aria. Just give me two minutes. We know that Aria broadcast is going to be important this year. You know what I'm saying? Yes, it will. <laughs> Getting saying. it back. You got one more chance. You have seven days to listen to my record. <laughs> you have seven <laughs> yeah, days exactly. to stream yeah. the album in two minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you can also <laughs> listen to some of my best work with Dina, with Jaguar Johns, uh, over a Mushroom podcast where you talked about the song Astronaut and really went into detail with, with Jane Rocker, some of my best work. So check that out. Uh, in a second, we're going to get you for the bonus episode. Quick recap today. We talked about um, Tony Burke declaring an end to uh, the war on the arts, which is great. Tony Burke also commend you for going out to Dina and, you know, taking the IRL moment to commend her on a speech at, at the Ormers. So it went into the Kid Leroy's management, Scooter Braun, and the, the toing and throwing, and we've got high hopes. And then at the end, Jaguar Jones, thanks so much for telling tell us about your career and Bunny Mode, which is out, out everywhere. So, yeah, that's the episode. Let's do the bonus episode, which I don't think we've even told you about. Are you ready for this no. bonus episode? This, this, is, okay. uh, this is kind of deliberate. It's easy. It's easy. We're just going to do a, a tight 20 about music that hit different for you over the course of your life. Oh, cool. Okay. Thank mm-hmm. you.